One of my biggest hopes for More Than Blockchain is to bring on guests and have conversations that flow, that are natural, that don't seem set up. And this is a little behind the scenes, but I never send guests ahead of time any questions. Many guests ask for questions just because I think that historically that's kind of how podcasts have worked and that's kind of how media has worked. Hey, send over the questions in advance. And then when you get on, you kind of have like scripted answers and you're thinking, oh, I have to be on brand this way or I have to message this way. And Web3 is super new. Crypto is super new. The nomenclature is changing all the time. The words that we use, the jargon that we use, even the way that brands message today versus six months from now is going to be different. And so on this episode with Jackie Roach, I was super excited to have her on because the conversation that we have is just as if you were listening to Jackie and I when we meet on a city bus and we talk about crypto, Web3, DAOs, where we are today, where we think the space is going. This episode really for me exemplifies what I want for more than blockchain, which is to create a space to have curated conversations about tech, about where we are today, about the future, and about how blockchain is going to influence everything under the sun. So on this episode, I have on Jackie Roach from My Crypto Advisor. Jackie is very crypto and Web3 fluent. She can talk about a holy host of different projects from personal experience, also from professional experience. And I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it, because as you'll see, Jackie's breadth and depth to talk about crypto and Web3 is kind of boundless. So let's dive in. I'm Jarrett Carpenter, and this is More Than Blockchain. Jackie Roach, welcome to More Than Blockchain. How are you? Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good Earth Day. I'm great. Good Earth Day, 422. Do you have any plans for Earth Day? Um, just celebrating. I made a pretty spicy LinkedIn post earlier today. Uh, and yeah, just hanging out. Is that the one that Grant responded to? Because I saw that you said something about Happy Earth Day and, and I didn't read further. I saw, I think Grant, like whatever the, the quote tweet is for LinkedIn, like reshared it and commented. Is that the one? Yes. Yes. Um, it was funny because I was telling him, I was like, oh, thanks for resharing. I normally am pretty vanilla on LinkedIn. And uh, I kind of got spicy about people spraying their lawns because my dog always starts wheezing and my mom has asthma. And like when people go nuts spraying the lawns in the spring and the fall, it just has like a, a lot of effect on us. So I kind of mentioned that. And then I feel bad because I'm like, oh, I don't know if my neighbors are reading this. It's interesting how people are engaging with LinkedIn now, especially like in Web3, because and especially with like Aussie Grant and I from Not Crypto Bros, because we all have different hats that we put on. And whether we're, and I say this, like whether you're in your nine to five or in your five to nine, like you're going to act differently. And then when people are on LinkedIn, they may be like, for example, I know people who on Twitter are super degen and like swear and put up ridiculous memes. And then on LinkedIn and they're all lowercase. And then on LinkedIn, it's like, they're talking about compliance and regulatory for like a fortune 500 company and their pictures a suit. Yeah. And I, <laughs> so actually. When do you think those worlds collide? Like, when do you think the CFO of a Fortune 500 company has like a PFP on LinkedIn and is just a little bit more real, if that makes sense? I think we're approaching a time in what Web3 is really doing. Like when we talk about removing the middleman, it's it's everything and everywhere. And we're even now, like as consumers, people expect 
businesses to be more transparent. They expect them to answer them on Twitter or on social media platforms. You have a direct connection now. Um, you know, presidents are on Twitter that can directly talk to people. Like uh, that barrier has been removed. So I, I think it's just something people have to get used to. Um, I had a PFP up for a little while, and I generally do more, um, you know, institutional stuff in this in, in this industry. So. Uh, even for me, I, like, I remember when I had it up and it was a crypto chick and I was kind of like, Ooh, I don't know, but, um, I used it for a few conferences, but yeah, I mean, this is such a huge spectrum, like web three. I mean, it's, it's blockchain touches every industry, everything we're doing. So it, it's hard to even answer that question succinctly, but maybe I gave some background. <laughs> you know, that was, that was good. And I, I don't think there is an answer. I think everyone just has a different opinion on where it will go. And also like, our individual echo chambers will influence how you answer that question. Because maybe what I just said, you totally vibe with, you know, someone who wears a suit on LinkedIn and then on Twitter, they're in a PFP and they're in spaces talking about, I don't know what, you know? And before we go further though, talk to me about how you got into crypto and like really how you all of a sudden got to where you are today, talking to a guy who you met at NFT NYC on his podcast called More Than Blockchain, if, if you could speak to that. And I know that's probably a spectrum, so. Sure. Um, so I'm actually from the newspaper industry. I was in newsprint media for 12 years. Um, so I have like a heavy print production background. Uh, my first degree was in graphic design. So I was actually like a pre-press technician. So I was setting up the files to be printed on an off-send printer, off-send printer. So our printing press rather. So, you know, producing a daily newspaper every night, there's a lot of like backend stuff that goes into that. Uh, in 2016, by 2016, I had um, gotten into managing our newsprint inventory. So uh, one night I was at work and I was like, I got to get out of the newspaper. You know, we're, everything was switching digital. Like I've been through the whole transformation process of these things. And I was applying for MBA school. And my CFO ended up walking in that day and was like, oh, you know, I'm on the board there. I can write a letter of recommendation. I was like, oh, amazing. And that Monday I came in and they sat me down and they were like, we want to sponsor you for your MBA. And I was like, what? Like, I thought I was getting punked. I like called my mom. I was crying. She was crying. So they sent me to school and I ended up getting my MBA in global supply chain management. Uh, and that's where I first learned the blockchain. So in 2016, I learned that this blockchain thing was happening. We were going to have a new internet, a new networking infrastructure, and it was going to have like a huge impact on supply chain management and ERP systems and all that kind of stuff. So really, I was exposed to it from like the industrial business side of things. And I didn't even get into crypto until 2019. I had a mutual friend, Alex. He's the founder of my crypto advisor. Uh, I work with him. I've been working with him for years. Um, he finally like convinced me to to get some Ethereum and Bitcoin in 2019. And uh, it was a good time to buy back then. And since then, I have really taken to NFTs, just tokenizing things. I, I It is the future. Everything will be tokenized in the future. So that's mainly what I've been consulting uh, with people and projects and advising on projects. I do my own NFT art just to keep my skills up. That's that's literally as degen as I get. I've done a few um, like token swaps here and there, but I my on-chain skills are more dedicated to like the creative outlet stuff and publishing to the blockchain, I think is going to be increasingly important. Yeah, it's just, it's an amazing opportunity. It's awesome to be here at this time. 
I didn't know that that's how you got into crypto via blockchain because most people get into, I feel like most people, and I'm going to make a statement here, get into blockchain via crypto the other way. Meaning right. like for me, I bought Bitcoin and I was like, this makes sense living in Guatemala for so long on the Mexican border. And so I was highly aware about remittances. I, I, I always knew it existed before. And I think that that's like some of the things, you know, when you, when you live something, you're like, okay, I see the real world use case. So for me, I got into blockchain via crypto or via Bitcoin. And you're one of the first people who said that they've got into crypto via blockchain, which is very cool and unique. And I'm going to continue to talk about that now moving forward. When you talk about NFTs and publishing, where are we talking? Are we talking about something like mirror.xyz, where people are going to be able to tokenize, you know, if you write something great for the New York Times, it's going to be tokenized. And then you could, for example, today's Earth Day. So someone, uh, you know, climatologist writes about Earth Day and says, hey, we really need to take this seriously, whatever. And then you could essentially tokenize the article as you could on mirror.xyz, and then have some of those funds go to organizations that are working to solve the climate crisis, reduce the effects, you know, make communities more climate resilient, something like that? Or how do you see publishing NFTs and the blockchain uh, and tokenization kind of all working together? And I think probably for you supporting the creator as well as maybe larger communities. Well, again, coming from the newspaper background, like I had been there for 12 years. So I learned everything about putting a paper together. I was fascinated by all of it. At one point in my life, I thought it was like my own personal responsibility to save local journalism, like to get very, very seriously. Um, and I, so I think this idea of self-publishing, the fact that I can tokenize an article that I write, and maybe I only make so many, so only so many publishers could even pick it up or, you know, reproduce it. So like one thing I think about is like comics, like the comic strips that run in papers, um, you know, like you're, if you're the artist or a cartoonist, you may only run in a certain amount of papers. So like, I think of tokenizing things the same way. And I remember when, I can't remember what journalist it was, tokenized his first uh, New York Times article. And that's immediately what I was thinking of was, you know, I'd, I'd watched disintermediation happen on blue collar jobs the whole time I was at the newspaper, like losing production workers and watching things transfer to the internet. And I thought, well, when blockchain's really here, when we can really NFT all of our stuff, why would I even have to work at a newspaper? Why would I have to work at one? Why would I have to be pigeonholed into one? I could publish work and it could be picked up based on, you know, how many tokens I mint and how many people I allow to, to have it. Um, and then furthermore, think of how much gatekeeping is in the publishing world. And now, I mean, people can mint their own books. They can they can inscript them onto ordinals. They can, you know, I mean, like, I, I think that's really the power of this moment is that we can't shut people's voices out just because we want to anymore. You know, people have more control over that. And then, I mean, everything you mentioned is like a perk to that. Like then being able to split the royalties or, you know, um, advance initiatives that matter to me. Like that, that's like all like icing on the top to me. Yeah, that makes sense. And I have to say, I grew up a Newsies fan. And so I'm, I'm assuming you know what that is. Christian Bale's finest work, maybe uh, when he was doing a musical, I think he was like 16 or 17. But I grew up with that movie. It's a Disney movie. And I just remember the scene where they're using the printing press, right? To spread the news, right? That was the way that they were going to rebel using 
the, I think William Hearst's own printing press at that time. And I remember even as a kid, it seems so far away from me, even though as a kid, I was also a paper boy. But the idea that that is how, like, so let's fast forward, right? And let's fast forward even 20, 25 years. And we're sitting with a 12-year-old kid 25 years from now. Explaining that that's how news was shared and information was shared will be so foreign. And to be like, yeah, Jackie, like, put the papers together. And then I, as a 12-year-old kid, had a paper route. That, even now, feels weird. In the age of childhood home, we used to get three newspapers. We used to get uh, the, the city newspaper, a regional newspaper, and then the Boston Globe. We now get none because we just stopped reading them. Because once we had these things, and for those of you listening, I'm holding up my phone. Now that we have these things, I have the New York Times. I have the Boston Globe. I have my local paper. And I have the opinions of anyone who I want to honestly engage with through Twitter or through LinkedIn, where you and I were able to meet. So it's like moving forward, how are NFTs going to change publishing? Like in the future, is it going to be totally decentralized where basically everyone has a mirror and you just follow along certain people, kind of like the hyper extension of a blog where you're basically going to Patreon their, you know, support their stuff by minting every time you see them through like micropayments, like with crypto. Like how, how do you see it really going? Because I do see these bigger apparatuses like the New York Times. And we were just at NFT NYC. When you come out of Port Authority, you see their building. And it is like, um, it's huge. It's a beautiful building. But I'm like, uh, that's expensive. And if other people can do stuff just on the internet and don't have to have that huge overhead, and I don't know if they own the building. I don't know what deals with that. But my point is, if you can build on the internet, well, you and I both know that's unbelievable network effect leverage. So where's publishing going in the future for these bigger brands like the New York Times? So one thing that comes to mind is like, I'm a huge fan of Canva and in Canva, I'm, I'm pretty sure they have a partnership with, with probably Getty images where they like import images from Getty. Now imagine that I'm a creator on Getty and I'm uploading NFTs, tokenized images, movie, whatever. And now that's getting used in Canva. And then every time an end user in Canva is using one of those images, through NFTs, we can actually track that right back to me. So I think the guaranteed royalties for and just creator like payments are going to get easier. Uh, I mean, this is even something everyone talks about now is I publish something to Instagram or Twitter, I, you know, that can get shared viral and that never comes back to me. I never, you know, see the end of that. Um, so I think that source is going to be important. But I also I've also maintained that print is never totally going to die. And I think one thing I really learned and watched happen at the newspaper, print, print legally has different standards than like radio, television, internet. Um, you know, if, if they misprint something, they have to do a redaction later. Or they have to, you know, say that it was wrong. There's, there's just a higher standard to print. I think it will always be the highest standard in a way. With blockchain, I think it's nice too that we can always go back to that like Genesis block or that Genesis beginning of it, like what was actually written. Um, but even beyond that, I think people that are creators, there's a certain feeling that's just different when your stuff is in the 3D material world. Like it's one thing to produce things online. Um, and I, I had a stationary uh, like card business with with a friend a long time ago. And I can just tell you that, like when I would see actual wedding invitations in someone's hands, like it was just like a very, and like feeling the paper and like all that stuff. I think it's, um it's not going to totally go away, 
And, and now that we're engaging like AR and, and I think the tracking of NFTs for publishers is the future. And then marrying that with the advancement of technology and pushing the boundaries of what we can do in the material world is really like that sweet spot, if that makes sense. That makes total sense. And I do think that there's something about physical objects. Like most people, we don't really know each other that well, but I'm like a super minimalist compared to, I would say most of my friends, at least that's like my reference point of minimalism. I have like, you know, a certain amount of t-shirts and I don't really have much else. Like I try not to literally, I, I ask people for gifts. Don't give me gifts donate something in my name. Cause I, I move around a lot and I just don't really want a lot of things. And I I've always kind of been moving more towards a minimalist lifestyle, especially since early on in my, in my, I guess my adult life when I was did the Peace Corps and then you realize you don't need anything. Uh, and then I come home and everyone's got like three cars and you know, it's like the size of your, how many garages you have is a sign of wealth. And then you just put all this crap in there from high school that you don't use anymore. And I'm like, what are we doing? But I was going to say, I still love books. I don't have a Kindle. I can't read on screens. So I still have books. And whenever I read a book, I always try to share it with somebody else and pass it on and just say, just pass it on. And so I do agree with you that I don't think that is going away. Like I can't read a book on a Kindle. Do you feel the same way? And is it because of your history with publishing or is it maybe because you like the physical book? So it's actually funny. I love my Kindle. I do read a lot of books in Kindle and I like to highlight and have those things like available offline. Um, but I do still get a newspaper and it is, I think it's the curation. Like the newspaper actually makes me really mad every time I read it. I'm like, Oh, sensational headlines. And like, I think I just like get it to hate it <laughs> maybe. Um, but there is a feeling of flipping through and knowing that this stuff was curated for my neighborhood. Um, it helps me stay in touch with my local community. I know what the overall like feeling of people is and, and, to be totally honest, I, I think this is one of the problems, the metaverse, Web3, uh, you know, we, we talk so much about community in it, but what I see in my real life, and I live in like a, a dense city area, like people are getting sucked into their online avatars or all of these different groups and people that they are on the internet and their own families and friends don't even know who they are anymore. And I mean, people are feeling more isolated than ever. We've had a lot of a lot of suicide just in my neighborhood alone in the last year. And that always comes up in my head is like, well, I wonder what they're really going through, because I'm sure you've been on Twitter spaces where these people that you said were wearing business suits on LinkedIn they're coming to like therapy on Twitter spaces or clubhouse. I mean, I have heard people say things where I'm just like, whoa, like I know this isn't being recorded, but my Lord, like this is a lot. What have you heard specifically? I mean, I, I think it was, I was hot on clubhouse when it first came out and it was interesting. I mean, I sat in rooms with like Senator Cynthia Loomis, like talking about blockchain before anybody else was, was hearing her speak on these things and DAOs and that. Um, I was one of the special people. I had an iPhone, so I had Clubhouse first. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess just that. I mean, people talking about their marriages falling apart, uh, you know, people wanting different jobs, people wanting, you know, going through legitimate, you know, personal development, midlife crises and, and that kind of stuff. And just being super open with strangers online and feeling more connected to people they've never met than people in their real lives. And I think that's another problem too, because like we met in real life 
but a lot of people don't meet in real life. And, and like, I've had bad experiences. Uh, you know, you should meet people in line uh, offline before you <laughs> go in on an LLC. <laughs> I'll put it that way instead. You should be right. You should meet people IRL before you go in on an LLC. I think that's a good takeaway. And I'm glad that you said that because, you know, you were there and I met Grant and Aussie hours before we met and it was totally surreal. And I think you're hitting on a point that's big for people who are in Web3 and crypto because my, like my IRL friends won't hear this. They right. will not listen to this episode. Right. And there are people that are like family to me. You know, your friends are your chosen family. And the older you get, whatever, you're 25, 35, 45, 55, the older you get, if you're keeping people in your life, it's super intentional. You want those people in your corner. And it's becoming really strange for me because I create two podcasts a week. This is one of them. And the other one's not crypto bros, as you know. And 99% of my IRL friends won't listen to it. And it's not because they won't do it like, oh, it's torture. They have no idea what we're talking about. And so I don't blame them. I'm not into golf. I'm not going to listen to a golf podcast. I'm not into boating. I'm not going to listen to a boating podcast. Never mind for them listening to crypto. And we have so much acronyms and all of these things. We have this jargon and it's always being updated. And so you have to stay up on it, right? And I've been really feeling like that. I've been really feeling super isolated because even when I hang out with my friends, I can't talk about what I do. Like I talk about more than blockchain and it's just like, you know, I see the like glaze go over their eyes and I'm like, okay, change subject. What do you guys want to talk about? We can talk about, I can talk about many different things, but not this. I get that. And it does feel isolating. And it was actually at the beginning of, I would say 2021. So towards like the top of the bear market. And then into 2022, there was a lot of people on LinkedIn and I'm not going to call them out by name, but there were groups on LinkedIn and especially more Twitter spaces all about emotional well-being and mental health. And I don't see them anymore. And we actually need them here now more, but there were a lot of people. And I was always kind of like weird about them because I thought that they should be here for the space. But a lot of them I thought were just taking advantage of the fact that there was none of that in the space. And so they would come in. And sometimes I was, I was part of a space, God, this must've been 2022, maybe one of my first spaces, but it was people talking about what they were grateful for and sharing exactly what you're saying. Like people like actually crying about a holy host of different issues, but they were like linked to an NFT. And so there was a shill and I hold that 99% of NFTs aren't going to work out, especially if they're PFPs, they're not going to work out. So I always felt like it was for good reasons, but I don't feel like I was happy about the shill. Is that, have you seen the similar stuff where it's like well aligned, but then there's a shill? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think this is, you know, people that wanted to just like release 10K generative mints back then, and they were going to build a community and they had these roadmaps. And I think this is just going back to why it's so important to know people and, and have a strong team before you even do something like that. Because as we know, like, like DAOs are basically LLCs, like you're every person that's going to be a member is going to be just as liable as anybody else in this com community that we have growing and going. And I know people in web three, they don't want to um, accept that all the time. And maybe this is where we can transfer to the DGEN conversation, but you know, you have to be looking out for people and with great power comes great responsibility. And if you really want to be a leader, then someone on your team should be staying up to date with like law and regulation and, and why those things were even written to begin with. And do they still apply and critically thinking about these things and, you know, sharing it with the community and, you know, just to 
back to my whole newspaper days, like the, the actual role of journalism, according to the print industry of America, um, is to provide citizens with the best information to make decisions about their lives, communities, societies, and governments. And that is the bar I would hold your communications person in your community to. Am I giving people in this community the best information to make decisions about you know, those different groups, their lives, societies, communities, and governments? And if and what is your communication arm? Is it Discord? Is it Twitter? Is it like how are you even holding all of this together? Which and and for most people that think Web3 is so inclusive, it's very exclusive in that regard. So, you know, we have a lot of a lot of things to still get through in this industry. Talking about exclusivity is an interesting one because I was just on a call and it was a little late to our to this recording. I was talking with two women. One of them works for uh, an organization that actually Mercy Corps is just minted with, which is super cool. Uh, and the other one has kind of a, it's like a digital marketing agency in Web3, but they're both very focused on bringing people to the table that didn't even have chairs at the table in Web2, whatever that looks like. And that just tells you that there's a lack of inclusivity, that there's a lack of, maybe not inclusivity, I'm, I guess I'm more hitting on diversity, but I think when you talk about DEI, you are talking about inclusivity and exclusivity, right? Is this literally gatekept by certain people? And if you have a space where there's all these people that are trying to bring other people to the table, then clearly it's not as inclusive as you think. And I think one of the things outside of if we're talking about DEI and race and uh, you know, people's economic ability to get into Web3, because it's expensive, right? I minted an NFT this morning. It was $300. And it was to support an artist who I met at NFT NYC and I really wanted to show up for him. But that's expensive in America where we know that people in America's, one of the quote, I'm using air quotes, wealthiest countries on the planet. So not only are there, I think there's racial, I think there's gender disparities and I think that there's, you know, gatekeeping there. And I also think it's expensive. I don't think everyone can financially get into it. And then you have this entire thing, which is the technology. It is not easy to download a MetaMask and not mess it up, and then not get scammed, and then connect it to your KYC AML of your Binance, and then connect your bank account, and then put the Ethereum in, and then transfer it to your MetaMask, and then make sure when you connect to the minting page, you also haven't gotten scammed, because this happens to everyone, even the highest people I've met in this space. So all those different components, I think, really make it a place that is not as welcoming, but for people who are here, it seems, I don't know, maybe once you're inside the club, it doesn't seem inclusive. Is that crazy? Um, sorry, you said so much in there. Sorry, I said so much. No, Please no, no. unpack, so unpack much, as you must. <laughs> there's so much to respond to. Um, I think one of the conversations we were talking about on that crypto bros was, you know, women in tech and, and this kind of stuff. And to be honest, I, I think women are, again, broad generalizations, but women seem to be more natural teachers. Like we want to share information. We want to communicate information, verbalize it, storytell it, that kind of stuff. And, and so do men. But I think this is really the problem is that when you get into crypto and web three, I mean, there was a period in 2022 where I had to just stop. Like, I mean, I realized I was on my screen time was 16 hours a day and I felt like I couldn't keep up. I had so much FOMO. I couldn't learn enough. I couldn't keep up. And this is like my job, right? Like I'm a, I'm a consultant, <laughs> you know, I work at my crypto advisor and this is what we do. We onboard people, we educate, we teach on-chain skills. If people want to learn how to do things, we 
hold their hand through that. Um, so we're filling like a very big niche that people are ignoring is that they're just not taking the time to teach people and really sitting in. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing is like, there's like in clubhouse and Twitter spaces, like there were, there would be people that would, you know, walk you through a token swap or would spend some time with you. But I don't know, how do you even know if you can trust that person or not? And that's actually like how people get scammed a lot of times. It's like, oh, just give me your wallet address. And like, we're going to put it in a big crypto fund. And don't worry. Yeah, join our telegram. Like, that's where a lot of this stuff happens. So I think my whole point in all of that is, I wish this industry would slow down. I wish tech would slow down. And maybe if they incorporated education in a in a real way that just kind of had these like like on a roadmap, it should be like we can't grow more until this happens. But but I also, you know, recognize that that's probably unrealistic. And if you don't, you know, if you're not first and early mover advantage and all that kind of stuff, like then then where does that leave you as a company? But um I don't know. We, we, we do a bad job as humans of, of bringing everyone along. I love the way you just said that it's outside web three, right? This is just humanity. Yeah. Like where do you, so now let's, I want to talk about my crypto advisor because I just think that onboarding and education, have you said, as you've said, are, are huge. And I hope that this, you know, when I started more than blockchain, it was, I, I rebranded from another brand I had before. Cause I just wanted to focus on crypto and web three and blockchain. And when I did that, and I still, if you go to the website, I'm trying to make it a place of like education. Uh, I have a playlist on YouTube that kind of breaks down super basic ideas. What is blockchain? How does Bitcoin mining work? What's proof of stake? What's proof of work? Kind of the basics. And then I have a more nuanced where it's like an hour and a half of Rao Pyle talking about how the financial system is broken and we're going to, you know, it's all over. The Fed doesn't know what they're doing. And it really gets into some like, you need to understand a lot of core tenants to show up for that class. It's like, you can't do algebra unless you understand addition, subtraction, mathematics, and division. And a lot of people, if we think about Web3, for me, having someone mint an NFT say, oh, it's so easy. That's like calculus. It's beyond algebra, right? In my opinion, because all the steps I've kind of laid out before. So for my crypto advisor, which I think is a, it plays a super important role, how do you see, and, and I want to throw a little, sprinkle a little AI onto this one, how is AI going to change the way my crypto advisor learns in a world where more and more people, because apparently ChatGPT is gaining 100 million users a month, more and more people are going to go to ChatGPT first before they go to maybe Google if they have a question about the world. Like how, how does AI play a role in the way that my crypto advisor develops? I don't know. I mean, honestly, my feeling on AI, and I could be totally wrong, but I will go out on the limb and say this. I always think of that episode of Jeopardy when, what was it, Watson, when Watson played the computer and it, it beat everybody, obviously. And I mean, we don't watch computers play Jeopardy. I mean, we know, like, I think we, as humans, like we're a species that connects on a human level. So once we kind of know a computer's behind something, it's sort of like the jig is up and it's not that it's not cool, but even as an artist, I mean, I love mid journey. Like it's great to put prompts in and see like full blown creations that would have taken me a long time. But I would never, and I'm not knocking on anyone here, but I would never really use like mid journey as like a serious, um, you'd have to do something more with it. You know, like you have to put the frames together or you'd have to make a lot of it. Like, like just making a one-off prompt. It's like, okay, cool. And then what? So, um, I guess to answer your question, there, there's two ways to answer this. Number one, uh, the customers that are clients that my crypto advisor gets 
you know, these people are so far away from even using chat GPT that I think we're safe for the next five to 10 years, <laughs> to be honest. Second, you know, there's definitely a barrier to even trusting what chat GPT says. I mean, there's already, and, and I'm not saying that it's not learning at an exponential rate and all of those things, but I don't know how much we can actually like absolutely trust that kind of thing. I think we still trust human beings over machines to begin with. And then I don't know, maybe that's, maybe that's the end of my answers there. But I mean, generally people that come to us is because they don't have the time to screw around online or screw around on YouTube and, you know, they just want to get started. And that, that was actually one of our best programs was called zero to crypto. And it was just three weeks. It was like, set up an exchange, set up a wallet, and then go into like spatial and see how NFTs connect all of this together. So like you had basically the foundational building blocks to then go on and experiment on your own. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's just getting started and, and a lot of projects do aim to do this. I mean, one thing I do like about the NFT communities is a lot of them, you know, they, they couldn't build their community without teaching you how to open up a MetaMask wallet or how to like actually acquire the token. Um, and the ones who didn't take the time to do it, like anyone who minted on Polygon a year ago and like, didn't sit down with people and teach them like, you know, some on-chain stuff there, like you were never going to build a community that, that Polygon was a barrier to entry just there a year ago. Yeah, I've minted a couple things on Polygon and I had some problems because I didn't have the network up in my MetaMask, so I couldn't see it and I was worried. And then I connected with someone, read, read an article, you know, you just had to do the extra work. Like humans are really lazy. <laughs> and if you're listening to this, you there is something that you probably should do around your house or in your life, you just haven't done it. And it will take 10 minutes, but you probably just need to do it. And for many of us, it's like just like clicking a couple buttons for taxes or whatever unless you have like an LLC or a corporation, but there's always something we won't do. And I feel like in web three, there's enough of those points oh, yeah. where you can just come up with reasons to whatever. And Polygon was totally that. And I, I think you're right. I mean, we're always going to, I will always inherently trust a human more than a computer. I like what you've said. And yet in the same time, we're also living in a world where for me, a smart contract is like, I know it's trustless, but, and I'm using air quotes again, but it's still like a computer in that sense. Like it, it's a, it's a formula. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting that we, I totally agree. I think we're always going to have the human connection is not going away. And if anything, it's getting, it's heightened because it's like, wow, like you said, 16 hours of screen time. I mean, this past week, I probably have that much. I'm in between NFT NYC and consensus. And I'm just trying to put so much stuff together and between work and then podcasts with not crypto bros and this podcast, I've just way too much screen time. Yeah. And I actually think that we're going to hit a place if we haven't already where the future utopia, you're going to base your wealth off the amount of screen time you have. If you have like five minutes of screen time a day, you're gonna be like, dude, that you're like a wealthy person, <laughs> you know? And, and what I think is it's going to flip because I think like in the eighties and the nineties and the two thousands, even now, if you have the privilege enough to work at home and work through your computer, like if right now, if you can work through your computer to make money, you have kind of positioned yourself well. But in the future where we're going to go, I'm thinking it's going to be the exact opposite. Like if you're like, oh, dude, that dude only has like 10 minutes of screen time. Well, that's because he invested in Bitcoin early or whatever it is. And now he's financially free and he kind of does his own thing. And I, I think about Ready Player One and like IOI and how they have people building in the metaverse physically using their physical body to build with like suits on. And I know that that sounds crazy, but um, we're kind of already doing that now. If you think about people that work in like a digital ad agency, they're sitting on Instagram 
for 12 hours a day building. And it may not be things we can physically see and, and like touch, but like we go on Instagram, like that's a really nice curated account. Well, guess what? Someone's building that. And so I do think that like, we're going to get to a future where screen time is going to become a, it's going to be a luxury. Just the way we talk about the amount of days you get off, you know, like for, for us in the United States, I look at Europe and they get like seven weeks, eight weeks. My buddy in Colombia, he works for a, uh, uh, an English company out of London and he gets like eight or nine weeks off and most of it's paid. And he's like, I don't even know what to do. He's from the States. He's like, I don't even know what to do, you know? And for, so we look at, at that as a luxury. I would think like across the pond, like, wow, they figured out their healthcare. They figured out some of these other things, like the idea of working to live, not living to work. And I do think in the future though, when you can reduce your screen time, then you're just going to be, I don't know. Does that resonate with you as someone who's spending time on their computer all day? Yeah. And I've, I've always been a huge advocate for like meditation and, uh, you know, training your attention and things like that. And I call it like defragging your processor, you know, you got to defrag your brain. Um, and I mean, to me, again, I, I come from like a blue collar production background. So, I mean, I was watching, you know, 60 year old guys climb in and out of four story presses and they've been doing this for 40 years and a lot of them, their bodies were broken. They were, you know, and, but this is their job and this is what they do. And I think of that, just what you're saying, like manual labor is online now. So what is this doing to our brains? And it's mental labor now, you know, we've, we've maxed out, uh, in the same way we needed labor unions to, to say, you know, only this many hours and they need this many breaks and things like that. Well, right now we're in the wild West period of like measuring that. <laughs> so we don't have actual standards set for how much screen time is too much screen time. And, and beyond that, um, you know, like with physical labor, there are some people that go into physical labor jobs and we all know this, like two of the guys are, or women, two of the people are doing 80% of the work, you know, and the other people are, so they're showing up for physical labor, but are they actually engaging in it? And so same thing with online, you know, or screen time, who on the team is really showing up and doing in taking the mental hit of all that screen time. And then who else is just like moving the cursor to like the screensaver is not going on or whatever, you know? So, I mean, it, it's, I think we're going to get all new labor laws out of this. I think we'll actually see a rise in labor unions from this. And my hope is that those are structured as DAOs where people can actually have transparent governance and not all the corruption and everything we've seen in the past between labor unions and, uh, you know, company and that kind of stuff. I, I Again, from the newspaper world, we had 13 collective bargaining units in one building. So getting, getting a paper out every night, I don't even know how we did it sometimes when you have, you know, that many departments with their own, uh, you know, siloed beliefs and contracts and all that kind of stuff. But we did manage. Is there a DAO for you that has worked and that you've looked at and been like, this makes sense. Like this is a good paradigm. Honestly, I think one of the most successful DAOs, and this is going to sound like kind of cheesy, but um, LinksDAO, I think LinksDAO has a great has a great interface. They, the way they've incorporated brands, uh, you know, if you're an NFT holder, you get percentage off and they've got some like name brand, you know, golfing for people who don't know what LinksDAO is. It's a, they, they eventually want to buy a golf course and the NFT, if you own the NFT, you have access to the course and all these other special perks and things like that. But I think they, I've been following their project for a while. I think they were very realistic with their roadmap. They didn't like overpromise and under deliver. The one issue that they did have, I know somebody whose wallet got drained, they lost their LinkStyle NFT 
And Linkstyle was basically like, eh, like, sorry, sorry, you got wrecked. But I mean, again, this goes back to your, you know, what we were talking about, about caring about your community. Like you have to assume that's going to happen to some of your holders. And then what do you do with those NFTs? You know, do you flag them? Do you delist them? Do you, uh, you know, that's just a, a concern we have to take very seriously moving forward. I've never looked into Linkstab, but when you said it, I had no idea. I was like, is she talking about L-Y-N-X? Like it's oh, no. a bunch of like mountain cats or something. <laughs> like, I don't know where she's going with this. No, there probably is one. Well, the World Wildlife Federation Foundation, they just had an NFT drop, I think. No, but check out Linkstab. They're, they're one of the like kind of corporate-y DAOs I, I, I tell corporate people to kind of look into because it's it's a good way to to just approach this and and manage like a, a club and like I said they, they've really onboarded uh like I mean I think I don't want to like drop name brands but I mean like brands in golf are partnered with them and if you have the nft you really are getting a percentage off and I was like wow they're they're really doing it all right and they've been doing it for a while I mean from the Dow space they've been doing it for a while everything's like eight months old <laughs> in this space. And I'm like, they've been on this a while. <laughs> I mean, because eight months is a long time if you're building a decentralized community, because it's this community that doesn't sleep and at any time can just attack your discord and people will sell all their tokens in literally, I don't know, 10 to 10 to 30 minutes if people think it's sour. So in that sense, I still think the space is a long way to go. And I love earlier what you were saying about like community. And it's almost like, do you think people are building community for the wrong reasons, i.e. for profit or for fame or for ego? It's not truthfully for community? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think people start out, you know, the road to hell is paved in good intentions. I think people like, you know, they want to do the right things, but it gets hard. And if you can't, I mean, I, I think this is why there's so many seasoned business professionals like coming into the space. And, you know, even people that if you've never been in a startup before, it's going to be hard to start up an NFT community. Like it's, if you don't know, if you don't know what you don't know, and you don't have anyone on the board, that's going to be able to like mentor. I always call it mentorship. Um, you know, you need those people. <laughs> I know I'm so, I'm so lame. Um, <laughs> but you need those, you know, it takes a village. I just posted something, um, on not crypto bros. I think it was Grant asked like, who's a real visionary in this space and how I did not answer Sherman Boschmager, who I have been following. She wrote token economy. It's like my absolute Bible in this space. It was one of the first books I really like got on token economies and things like that. But, you know, she was even just saying like, she had a really good infographic up of like, you know, you need legal, you need, you need all these people to make this work. And if you don't have that, you're, you're really going to run into problems later. And Again, I think that's something we've done really well at My Crypto Advisor. You know, we've had in the early days, we had so many people that were like, I want to launch a token. I want to, you know, I want to get on this ICO thing. And it's like, are you ready for that? Like, are you really like ready to potentially probably, you know, release a security like the way things are possibly going? And I don't even want to get into this discussion. But I mean, we actually I think I think we did a really good job bringing some legitimacy to these people at that time. And like, I mean, people were probably disappointed with us at times. We just didn't partake in a lot of things people wanted to do. And there were enough, you know, Instagram influencers out there that were like, I'll be your token consultant. And, you know, I'll text you when to jump in on this coin. And like, we were, that was not us. That's not what we ever did. 
and we still get people that like, that's literally what they want. They're like, can we get investment advice? And we're like, no, we are not financial advisors. So like, we're here to teach you on chain skills so that you can be your own bank and you can make your own decisions, but we're not going to do that for you. That's what, like, that's what we're supposed to be getting away from right now. (laughs) I have a friend and he said this once, and it just has always stuck with me. He said, having more experience strictly just means that you've had more failures. And you've had a lot of experience in the space. And I feel like to be a teacher, to be a good teacher, uh, I coached soccer for years. And I feel like to be a good soccer coach, I had to have under my belt some understanding of experience, like what a player is going through, both on the field and off the field. And with that said, like, are you open to sharing a flub you had? Like, have you had your, have you done something where you're like, I knew better and I got social engineered and my wallet got drained? or you know, because every like big people in this space who I, who I look up to have had like their wallets totally drained if we're talking about NFTs or, you know, they've been part of a DeFi scam. I've been part of one totally just got taken by the wind. Do you want to share about any of them, the lessons you learned and just, I don't know, be open about that? Um, I feel like if I said no, I would be an immediate target for people. No, if, if it hasn't happened to you, then that's brilliant. Um, like not everyone, you know, I've made, I've made bad decisions, but I mean, honestly, I've just been so lucky to be friends with Alex. I mean, before he even started the business, he just, he's, he's so good about, you know, thinking 10 steps ahead. Um, you know, he had me on a hard wallet before most people were doing things with hard wallets and like, yeah, it's annoying to like plug in each time and things like that. But once you get used to doing it, like, honestly, it's, it's not that big of a deal. And actually I was just, we did a a ledger class a few weeks ago and I had not been on the uh, ledger like desktop app in a while. And man, they've really grown. Like there's so many new options there. They're like connected to so many cool things. And I was, and then I met someone at NFT NYC that was part of like the ledger, like artist accelerator program. They've like chosen five artists. And I mean, they're, they're, the hard wallets are making a lot of like headway right now. So, um, I would say that like, that's definitely a good place to start. Even like NFT collections, like you should be launching it from a cold storage wallet. Like you, that should be what's connected. And if you really care about your community, these are things you're thinking of. Um, and again, I'm not trying to knock anybody or anything. Uh, I will say the, the dumbest things I did uh, because I was invested in ETH early and like everybody was walking around like ETH rich. Uh, there was like a, when gas fees were like absolutely out of control. I remember like paying, I think the NFT was like $400 and I paid like $350 in gas fees. And I was like, that's fine. This is normal. <laughs> like, not normal. Like you should not be paying hundreds of dollars in gas fees. Um, yeah. I mean, I did, I was, I made like dumb decisions and proved to be a pretty lousy steward of money a few times, but, and I was in wonderland time, you know, I, I had like a thousand in there, which, but you know, I kind of knew even then I was, I've never trusted anything to be totally honest. Like I've never, I've never been like, wow, this founder's not gonna run away with this bag. Like, I guess, I guess being from like the city, like I just, I'm always on guard. I just don't, I literally just don't trust anyone. That's actually probably a really good attitude to have in web three because it's totally the don't trust verify. And I was also part of time and I think we shared with you, but that's how I met Grant. I saw him on YouTube and we just started talking and there was a rapport there and we've just, you know, not crypto bros kind of uh, came from that. And going back to our conversation though, changing subjects a little bit, going back to the conversation that we had, did you end up, cause you said, quote, right before you called, I was wondering if I should pick up some more doge. 
did you pick up Doge or are you are you DCAing into Doge? What's what's going on with your Doge? Uh, Doge is just like, I honestly just throw like, you know, 50 or a hundred bucks on it here and there a couple of times a year. Like spring cleaning. You're like, eh, yeah, whatever. I just, I got my tax money. I'll just I just, throw it I have like a, I don't know. I think there's some things too. I just have like intuitive beliefs about, I don't know why I believe in them sometimes. Intuitive um, beliefs. Like, like you got your chakras aligned and then you're like, ah, I need doge. <laughs> like, what do you like spiritual alignment? I don't know. Do you you know, like I, I did really good on the graph um recently oh you did yeah but like graph was something I was holding for I don't know probably two years and I just always kind of felt like this will go up one day mana was the same way um I you know when the Decentraland um metaverse fashion week happened last year not this year this year was pretty deplorable but last year I just was like this is probably going to be a big deal so like I think I got in when it was at like 75 cents or something and it went to four dollars it was like over four dollars when the festival happened so, I mean, I think like I've, I've always been like a buy and hold type person. I'm, you know, I'm willing to wait, you know, six to 12 months or even longer uh, to see something go up or down. But with Doge, I always, you know, I, I did some deep research on it when it first came out and like two things stick, stick out to me. One, it's proof of work, which a lot of people like don't know. And then two, you know, it was co-created by the guy from Adobe and it was always meant to be, you know, people are always like, Oh, it was meant to be a joke, like kind of, but it was also meant to be like a social tip on likes and, and creator content. And I mean, I just, I, I still see that future and there's a lot of projects that are trying to do that right now. They're not getting enough users to show real growth. But, you know, and, and I don't know, Elon's always making the cryptic doge, you know, here and there. So who knows? I, I do think I do think it's going to be the way we tip on Twitter. It will it, there will be an option. You can still continue to tip out how whatever it is now, probably through fiat or credit card. I still haven't used those functions, but there will be a thing where you can connect the doge wallet very soon. I mean, the fact that it is a fork from Bitcoin, it is a very OG project and for me, it's like the joke that continues to get louder until it's like, oh, that wasn't a joke. Oh, that's dead serious. And I believe that that is where Doge is headed. And so I got some way back. I don't think I've ever put any more in, but I'm thinking I'm going to put 50 bucks towards it just as like a, you know, like you said, spring cleaning, sprinkle a little on here and there because in the next bull run, it's going to get out of control. And I was just even looking today at like prices and history and price action and just like trends. It's going to get crazy. Right. There's like, if you look at technical analysis, and I'm not someone who's into TA, I don't really, that's not what I'm looking at with Bitcoin. I'm just looking at like the halving and looking at other asset classes and saying, like, what's going to fold in if it's 1% of this? Like, okay. And Bitcoin, like, you know, could crack 200 next bull run. And I don't know if people are ready for that. And what I, what I, what I mean is, I know you and I probably aren't ready for that. So if we're not ready for to like do that mental leap, oh my God, Bitcoin's at 200. What is going to happen to someone who's never even considered this and thought it was a joke the way we think of or people think of in crypto as Doge being the joke? What is going to happen to the human psyche when Bitcoin's at 200 and the people who just thought crypto was a joke, they're like, oh my gosh, that's like this much amount of my mortgage or that is my mortgage. For you guys at my crypto advisor, what are you guys thinking about for the next bull run? I mean, I just assume you're going to have a lot more students, right? 
Well, yeah. So first I will, again, you probably have a disclaimer, but none of this is financial advice. We are not financial advisors. We always do better in a bull run. I mean, it's, it's always kind of sad in a way that like people buy in, like we had so many clients when Bitcoin was at like 50,000, like then it topped out, you know, was it 63 or something like that? Um, and then all those people have just been sitting around since then and just looking at losses this whole time. So like you said, people get a sour taste in their mouth about this industry and they kind of leave it alone. You know, I'm, I'm always about long-term projections and, uh, you know, I think Grant and I kind of bonded on a uh, Cardano. That's one of my long-term projects that I always hold on to. Um, I still, I still think the graph is a great project. You know, it's like a data aggregator. And, and I think that's what I'm always thinking in these projects is like, what does this solve? What does this do? And how do I see this like aiding interoperability as we move on? So like another, like Chainlink is pretty inexpensive right now. Like I think I got into Chainlink late. It was like $18 when I started buying Link. And now it, I think it's at like $7 or something right now. So, I mean, that's something that's, seven dollars now that's getting expensive for me over here <laughs> um but that's one that you know i know Chainlink has i believe Chainlink has a lot of longevity in the space and and all the new stuff that's going to be coming out and i think that's what people should be thinking about is is what's what's the next layer of crypto and blockchain what are the next tokens solving what are they doing is it oracles is it you know like what is the you know, we had, uh, it was like the NFT, we had the, the token boom, then we had the NFT boom, then we kind of had like a Dow moment, like what's the next thing? And I, I think oracles will probably be the next thing everyone's like really talking about. I kind of hope so. I think oracles are pretty important. Yeah. I was just going to actually build that for you and being like, we had the ICOs in 2017, we had the NFTs in 2021, and then like into 2022, metaverse coins, like you're saying, mana. Uh, for Decentraland and Sand also popped off. Oracles. Talk to me about why Oracles. So, I mean, I just think it's really neat that like we can start connecting real-time data to NFTs, dynamic NFTs and things like that. So, for example, um, you know, if you have weather sensors out there, uh, I think one of the examples Sherman Boschmer used in her book was... Um, like an insurance company, like you could have sensors that are sensing like flood water levels or something, and they could be automatically paying out insurance claims based on the information that the Oracle is feeding to the blockchain. So uh, weather will be like a huge, anything that's related to weather right now with how, you know, this is an overarching theme, climate change, today's Earth Day. Um, so anything that's like really going to start tracking weather data and being involved in those types of projects, I mean, and I think for anybody, the cool part about Web3 is that you can find what you're into and explore that. And there's tons of projects around that thing. And I mean, if you get in on some of these tokens when they're 0.0002 cents, you know, you're you're spending 20 bucks or 50 bucks. And I mean, there's so many times in crypto where, you know, I, I flipped something like that. I put 50 bucks in and had, you know, 300 bucks or something. I was able to pay a bill or do a thing. And you know, that's been helpful for me. And yes, I pay my taxes. I record everything and I uh, use coin tracker and I'm honest about everything. Uh, that's another side of this, a whole other part of the discussion, but I do believe people like it's no such thing as magic internet money. No money is magic. It's just all money is a story and you decide which one you want to play with. hundred percent. I, I love that you talked about the weather because Mercy Corps Ventures, which is the investment arm of Mercy Corps, has worked with small subsistence farmers 
and gutting them on smart contracts. So that way, when a tsunami is going to come, for example, or a hurricane or, you know, bad weather, they can, instead of waiting the three months or four months to have their crop insurance kick in, they can get paid in real time. And in the developing world where the climate is really, really, it's impacting people a lot worse than it is in the, quote, developed world, smart contracts are going to be great because then you're not trusting a government. You're not trusting another vendor. It's not trust. Let's just verify. And I'm glad that you totally, totally brought in that. You know, like Chainlink is not one that I have no exposure to, but a lot of people tell me like that is going to be, it's one of the most utility based crypto projects. And yeah, what about Chainlink for you is like the thing. And I assume you have exposure to it because you, you just said you got in and I looked and yeah, I mean, it went up to 50. Once again, this is not financial advice. Now we're getting into the, 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 the cryptonomics here, but for you, like, how do you see Chainlink? playing a part in something that you're super passionate about. I think Chainlink like inherently understands the infrastructure of blockchain and distributed ledger technologies. So all of their solutions are how can we be like a tentacle to what this main thing is doing. Um, and I, I mean, no matter what kind of project you have, I sound like I'm like a chain link, like ambassador. I'm not, I have no affiation with chain link. No affiliation to chain link yeah. ledger. And none. actually just... I think I like cashed, out, you know, a bunch of crypto recently. I think they were one of them. So I don't even think I hold Chainlink right now, uh, just for disclaimer purposes. But they're, you know, sift around through their their website and that, like, their their solutions and like Oracle's is probably the best one I can think of, just because it relates to dynamic NFT so well. But they're just, you know, what's a PFP? What's the next thing I can do with this? Like, that's always the question for me. And I think Chainlink is providing a lot of like novel answers, and they've been around for a while. You know, they're vetted. They're they're just a, a good team. Um, I was trying to think of the integration. We were we were talking. I have to give a shout out to Jesse Radmaker because he was on your show before. And, um, you know, I, I worked with them on the Young Sneaks project for a little while and they were doing a chain link integration. I can't remember which one it was now, but um, it's just a shout out to Jesse. Hi, Jesse. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Jesse. Jesse is one of the most visionary guests I've had on. Um, a lot of the guests I've had on who are builders and creators, they're really kind of, they're focused on solving one issue and they're really doing that. And the issue he's trying to solve and the way that he broke it down in the episode was like, and I love this. He was like, we're trying to be the Medici family for Web3 creators. So we're trying to provide Web3 creators the resources they need for them to flourish. And I had never really thought about the Medici family until Jesse spoke about it, but it's like, oh, that's how you get all these amazing thinkers who literally push civilization forward. And so what he's trying to do uh, with Medium, I just think is amazing. And yeah, their whole team, everything that's like building Medium is amazing. They have like high level people, great thinkers. And, you know, they're not, they're another example of just the real builders in this space. If you're still around and, you know, and I think Medium's web or YouTube, like it's three years, you know, they've had videos going three years back or maybe even older. Like if you're still around now, like you're, you're in it for the long haul and you're building for the right reasons. You didn't do a pump and dump. You didn't, you know, do a rug pull the, the brains behind that team and, and just the legal, the building, the manufacturing side of it. I mean, it's, it's real. And, um, it was a great project to be exposed to. I really, really enjoyed working with them. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's just the best part of, of, of even some of the projects I've gotten to advise on and be on is just sitting down with people that like really want to see the world function in a, in a different way. And in a way that's 
like you said, the Medici family, like, I mean, this is something that artists throughout time, you've been beholden to what, like the Vatican, super like families that were super well off, whatever, like, and now we're seeing new ways to, to crowdsource and crowdfund and, um, you know, get people exposure that normally wouldn't have had a chance to have that. Um, and I think like Jesse's whole ethos like plays right into that. Like he's, he's really an equal opportunity person. He's, he's a good guy. Yeah. I've been watching what he's been doing with young sneaks and I'm just like kind of blown away. Cause I think I read the book. What's the book? Oh my God. What's the book? A shoe dog about, um, Phil Knight started, uh, Nike. And that's just an incredible book. If you're an entrepreneur, even if you're not, he basically just like goes over, I believe to Korea or Japan. No, he goes to Japan, I believe. And he just sources it in the seventies. He just goes over. He's like, flies over. He's like, I need to source. And that's how he started. And it started with, it was a what blue ribbon athletics or something like blue ribbon, something that was the original name. And then he changed it to Nike in the early seventies. But I see a lot of that story, that hustle, that grind that like, I have to figure out new supply chains. Like, how am I going to do this? And the fact that Jesse brings all of his knowledge from Adidas, from one of the biggest shoemakers on the planet, like those are the people that I see really succeeding in web three, the big artists that say, Oh, you know what? I've been selling my art in galleries. Let me just throw it up on OpenSea and bring my entire community there and bring them along. Like you're saying with the education, this is super simple. This is going to create a wallet. Those people really survive. And I've seen, I've started to see that trend now where it's like, if you get into web three and you just want to create an NFT project and you're creating a community from zero, it's super brutal. But if you come over and you're so-and-so and you just want to get into Web3, like Steve, Steve Aoki, the uh, DJ, I thought I, I just think he's doing like really cool things in Web3. And anyway, so I want to ask you if people are interested in my crypto advisor and they want to get in touch with you because they want you to come hang out you know, with their company or their organization and help them get caught up to speed or maybe launch something, where can people get in touch with you? We met on LinkedIn. Is that the best place for people to reach out for you, re- reach out to you? So people, yes, LinkedIn, I'm pretty active on there. Uh, you can look me up, Jackie Roach, uh, J-A-C-K-I. There's no E, blame my parents. Uh, and Roach is just the way it sounds, R-O-A-C-H. And www.mycryptoadvisor.com uh, is where you can uh, see our consultancy services. Um, we have a lot of great things coming up. We're talking, we're doing a workshop at the DAC FP Vision Conference this June. It's June 12th through the 14th. Uh, and that's in Austin, Texas. That's run by Rick Edelman's group, the Digital Assets Council of Financial Professionals. Um, I would highly recommend anyone in the financial industry check out the Vision 2023 conference. It's going to be a great time. Alex and I are doing a workshop to mint your own NFT. So uh, we're bringing it to the masses. It'll be a, a fun little thing to do. Um, but yeah, yeah, pretty much LinkedIn and mycryptoadvisor.com. Okay. Well, thank you so much for hopping on the pod and uh, we'll be in touch soon. Thank you so much, Jared. Been a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of More Than Blockchain. And go ahead and check out the episode show notes where I'll leave links to my crypto advisor as well as links to Jackie's Twitter and LinkedIn if you want to get in touch with her directly. As always, please follow us on social media at More Than Blockchain. And if you haven't done so already, be sure to check us out on YouTube. I'm creating content there that's only on YouTube. So if you enjoyed this podcast, go ahead and check us out on YouTube at More Than Blockchain. Also, for many of you who know, I also run another podcast called Not Crypto Bros. Now, Not Crypto Bros is a live show, and we go live every Tuesday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. 
So if you're looking for something that's live where you can interact and hop in the comments, go ahead and check that out. I'm also gonna leave the link to that below. If you enjoyed this episode, please go ahead and share the link with a friend, colleague, family member. You can DM it, email it. You could even tweet it to share it, I guess. However you want to do it, if you enjoyed this episode, please go ahead and share it. No matter where you listen to the podcast, go ahead and subscribe. If you're listening to us on YouTube, please subscribe. If you're listening to us on Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, wherever you listen to podcasts, please go ahead and subscribe. Thanks so much for checking out More Than Blockchain, and I'll see you next time.